I'm going to read one scripture tonight. James uh, chapter 5 is where I'm going, verse number 11. They've left me quite a little bit of time. We, uh, we may not have this much uh, preaching as tonight, but uh, we'll go until the Lord gets done, and uh, we'll just let him have his way. How about that? Amen. God is good to us, isn't he? James chapter 5, verse number 11. Appreciate our praise singers. Always do a great job. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the music, the anointing, the talent? that we have in this church always takes us to the throne. Amen. God is so good. James 5.11 Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I want to use that scripture uh, tonight to uh, talk to you from this thought tonight. Daughters of the dilemma. Daughters of the dilemma. Uh, that's going to make sense in just a few moments. I'm going to try to connect it. Uh, but let's ask the Lord one more time to be with us in the remainder of this service. Anoint the rest of this and help us the rest of the way. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word, God, that's anointed. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together, Lord, to worship you tonight. I pray you bless each and every one that's here in this place, Lord, that you would speak to them. Lord, anoint the lips of clay to deliver what you've laid upon my spirit. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. And we ask it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The writer, James, took his pen in hand to write to a large group of believers that were filled with problems. Issues and troubles had come. They were testing their faith. They were being attacked on every side. They were being persecuted. They were being tortured. They were rejected by family, friends, and even way back then, modern thinking. And James was fearful for them, and he was concerned for them. He felt and witnessed them falling and succumbing to things like impatience and things like bitterness and things like materialism and disunity and spiritual apathy. Isn't it not strange or amazing tonight? to think that the very things that plagued the early church are still being used against us today. Satan is still the same old enemy. He still uses the same old weapons. That's why Paul, when he proclaimed to the Corinthian church, he was, be, he was careful to let them know that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Let me say tonight, that when you start feeling some of those things that we just talked about, when you start feeling maybe some frustration and maybe some bitterness, and you start getting crossed up maybe with the brethren, and you start getting apathetic to the things of God, and your appetite begins to shift, and it begins to change toward 
maybe some of the things that are out there in this world. That is the time that you need to find a place to war against that in prayer. Because those are the devices and those are those fiery darts and they are the things that Satan tries to use to gain an advantage over us. Because ultimately he is trying to destroy our faith. He is trying his very best to do whatever it takes to strip us of our faith. And James, in our writing, starts to exhort and encourage those that are struggling in their faith. Anybody be honest with me tonight and say, maybe my faith's been struggling a little bit, looking at all the things that we're facing. Maybe it begins to attack your faith. That's what the enemy's after tonight. But throughout this whole book of James, he is giving instruction on the true characteristics of faith. The purpose of James' writing was not doctrinal. He wasn't trying to set doctrine, but he was trying to provide the people of God with a practical way to apply their faith. You see, James is trying to show tonight that genuine faith will produce real changes in a person's conduct, in their character, and all of the makeup of that person. And the absence of those changes proves one thing, that their faith is nearly, if not entirely, dead. In other words, James was saying faith is real and it can be measured by action. Now I know tonight that there's a debate about that and that may cross theology with some, but hear me out tonight because true faith should always be shown a result in action. Um, Romans 4, Paul used the example of Abraham to show that justification is by faith, not by works. But James in chapter 2 said that Abraham was in fact justified by works. So is that a contradiction that we find in the Word of God? No. Romans 4 and James 2 are two sides of the same coin. When you look at them in context, Paul is writing about justification before God, and James is writing about justification with evidence before men. Two sides of the same coin coin because your faith is always going to have action attached to it and the proving of your faith is always through action you got to remember tonight James is dealing with people who are in the throes of the battle they are fighting for their lives and their very existence James tonight is trying to be a good pastor he's trying to be a good leader he's trying to be a good shepherd and he is preaching to them through this verse that we have read, don't get sidetracked. He's trying to let them know you can't get careless in the midst of this trial because your actions speak volumes about where your faith is. Amen. Isn't it amazing what we've been able to tell about some folks' relationship with the Lord through just a little season of testing? Amen? 
See, I know that we think sometimes I'll just do my own thing and I'm good. Uh, but uh, we better be careful that we don't deceive ourselves. Come on, somebody. Uh, sometimes when the pastor comes in and he has to start leaning on us a little bit, he has to start coming to us and finding out why we've been missing church and uh, where we've been on prayer meeting. And he starts preaching about putting things before the Lord. Isn't it amazing how that ruffles feathers and starts to get people a little agitated? Amen. People say, oh, preacher, I'm fine. My faith is just fine. I'm, I'm doing okay. But you need to thank God for a spiritual leader who will step to the forefront because what he's seeing is he's seeing you falling to the devices of the adversary. So thank the Lord when the preacher steps up and he begins to preach and he begins to pick up the phone and he begins to call and he begins to shoot those texts because he is talking to your actions that are speaking volumes about your faith. Never is it so important than when you are in a trial or when the enemy is after you. Anybody feel like the enemy's been after us? Amen. This thing that we're facing in our world has shown that the enemy absolutely hates the church. Amen. The enemy absolutely hates what we are doing in this place tonight. Amen. And he has leveled an all-out attack. But James left a verse for us to give us practical example that we could reach back to. And he said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercy. James could have spoken in parables, he could have used other means to encourage God's people not to lose faith. Countless ways he could have reached to save them from a collapse that was imminent. But he chose the story of Job. And James reached back into history to perhaps maybe one of the most well-known men of their time. And he began to encourage struggling believers. See, everybody knew who Job was. Um, everybody was familiar with his story. Born old preacher, encouraging us with Job again. But consider it with me tonight because God visited with me today with something I believe is going to help us. Job is perhaps the earliest book of the Bible set in the period of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Job simply is this. It's the story of a man who loses everything, his wealth, his health, his family, and wrestles with the question, why? Why? Now, if we be honest in this place, at some point in our walk with God, we've all come up on a place that has put a why in our pathway. And James was dealing with a group who had some whys, so he pulls out Job, and Job is the perfect example for questions of why, because here's what you need to know tonight. The why can never be known in the middle of the trouble. The why is not 
supposed to be revealed in the middle of the dilemma. See, you need to understand there's going to come a day when all of the things that you've suffered, when all of the things that you've endured, when all of the things that you've gone through are going to be revealed. But while you're in the middle of it, it's not the time for God to do that. And James pulls the example of Job because the people can see an end to the struggle when they think back on Job, and he's trying to get them to look past what they can see right now and trust God for where he's taking them. So much preaching we've heard lately has been just that. It's been trying to get our eyes to look past what we can see right now and see the big picture and see where God is trying to take us and lead us in the midst of all of this. How many of you know God does have a plan? And God does know all the time what he's doing. I heard a preacher open up one time and he said, sometimes God just knows what he's doing. No, all the time God knows what he's doing. In the middle of trouble is not the time for us to lose our faith over grappling with the question of why. But in the middle of trouble, we've got to learn how to make our faith strong and stand upon the Word of God. It's cliche tonight, but it's true. If God puts you in it, He can get you out of it. If God brought you to it, we do serve a God tonight that can take you through it. I know we've heard that, but it is so true tonight. But we've got to learn how to hold on to our faith if we're ever going to get to the answer. Because the test, that's what the test is for. The test is for the answer. I teach. I've never set a test on a desk or a student and said, ah, don't worry about it. It's not really important. You can write your name on it and give it back to me if you want to. This really doesn't matter. State just requires me to give you one of these every once in a while. Just if you want to fill it out, go ahead if you want to answer it. No, that's not what the test is designed to do. The teachers worked all week. They've taught a concept. They've taught a principle. So they put a test on the desk to find out if you understand what you have just learned. So God brings the same thing in and the test comes so that he can find out do we understand where the answer is and what the answer is. Amen. And the good thing about God is he wants us to get the right answer. And he works diligently because he wants us promoted and he wants us to advance. But we get so impatient and we're so opposed to anything that challenges us and anything that comes against our comfort that we're resistant when a test comes. Sometimes the test is proving something to you that you do have the strength to make it even when you think that you do not. James goes back and he grabs an example and he begins to teach. Remember Job because the concluding lesson of Job is this. And this is what we've got to get a hold of in this hour. That God is sovereign. 
He doesn't need my permission. And he doesn't need my uh, approval. I, I told a group today, I had to preach a funeral for a young man, 59 years old, preached a funeral today for a young man. And everyone was saying, why, why, why? And I said, these are the moments that we've got to learn that his peace passes our understanding. I told you that this past Sunday, standing right here. There's times when we don't understand. And we've got to learn to walk in the peace that God gave us. That he is sovereign and he does all things well. And Job's story teaches us that he is sovereign and he is worthy of our worship in whatever he chooses to do. Job, you're going to learn to trust in the goodness and the power of God in adversity. How's that going to happen? Because God goes to work to enlarge Job's concept of him. I believe this pandemic and I believe this trouble and I believe all the things that we're seeing in our world today is God trying to shake his people and enlarge our concept of who he is. It's easy to get him put in our box. It's easy to get him made into to a certain thing that we've imagined him. It's easy to get locked in to coming to church on Sunday and coming to church on Wednesday and think that's what this thing is all about but it's more than us just gathering together and God's trying to get his church to get a bigger concept of who he is in this hour and Job the perfect man the perfect man now get that God described Job as the perfect man but Job the perfect man had too small of a view of God. And troubles came, and he got proud, and he got self-righteous. And God had to take him to the end of his own resources before he humbled himself and acknowledged the greatness and the majesty of the Lord. Be careful tonight how you respond in a trial and in trouble. In the end, Job teaches us that God is Lord of all things in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. He teaches us that God is omniscient, and he is omnipotent, and he is good. And because of this, his ways are sometimes incomprehensible to man. But one thing about him, he can always be trusted. Think about it. Without the divine perspective of chapters 1 and 2, because when you go back and you look at the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2 tells us about how great Job is and how much God trusted Job. God even tempted the devil and said, have you considered my servant Job? But without the divine perspective of chapters 1 and 2, and then again at the end of the book when we read how it finished, chapters 3 through 37 really are a mystery. The whole book doesn't make sense except for the beginning and the end. But Job, poor Job, didn't have chapters 1 and 2 to read before he stepped into chapter 3. Amen? Sometimes we need to know that God knows more about us than maybe even we do. 
Job didn't know that God was calling him perfect. Job didn't know about God's confidence in him. He just had to trust God when everything else said otherwise. And I felt led to tell somebody in this place tonight, you're in the midst of the middle of the book and it doesn't make sense. You're right in the middle of your story, and it may not make sense. But if you can just hold on and trust God, there's an end coming that God has ordained. Amen? He's the author, and he's the finisher of what? The faith. But if I'm going to get to his end, I've got to stay in faith. All right? I felt led to tell somebody, there's an answer coming for us. And there's some clarity coming for us. We're about to get the picture that God has been painting, but we've got to hold on to our faith. So how does this thing end? The last chapter of the book records uh, the, the, the climax, if you will, the long and a difficult struggle that Job has had with himself, his wife, his friends, and even God. And he finally recognizes what God is up to And he's no longer demanding an answer to why. Satan's challenge becomes God's opportunity to build up Job's life. And James is writing to those Christians of his day. And he said, behold. That means wait. Wait just a minute. Before you do something, consider this. We count them happy. That means blessed. Fortunate beautified, which endure. That means stay under. Bear trials or abide. You've heard of the patience or the continuing, the consistency, the waiting of Job, and you have seen the end of the Lord. Notice that he said the end of the Lord. Why didn't he say the end of Job? Because this was never about Job to begin with. Oh, Brother Hodge, you've lost it tonight. But I'm telling you tonight, from the very beginning of this thing, it was God that was on trial. The enemy, you're making him serve you. You've blessed him beyond others. You've given him great wealth. If you weren't so good, he wouldn't serve you. And God was on trial. But because Job was faithful, because he endured, we get to see the end of the Lord. And James said he's pitiful. That means strengthened. And of tender mercy. That means compassion or made like himself or caused to be himself. God was allowed to be God because Job survived the test. Because Job allowed God to show himself strong, God visited his favor upon Job. Amen? I've often wondered, Job 42, uh, verse 10, if you could put it on the screen, I'll just read it from there. I've often wondered um, why the names of Job's daughters were listed. Let's look at Let's look at this passage of Scripture. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We're getting to the end. And there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. 
And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. Verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camel and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses. 13. And he also seven sons and three daughters. 14. And he called the name of the first Jemiah and the name of the second Kiza and the name of the third Korean. 15. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. 16, after this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations, last scripture 17, so Job died being old and full of days. And James said, this is the end of the Lord. And I've often wondered, why the name of Job's daughters listed? No listing of the sons. They've got to be important. Sons have got to be important. They're the seed. They're the ones that's going to carry the name of their father into the future. Why not list the boy's name? It's always been a little puzzling as to why we get here and he's so careful to give us the names of these daughters. But through some prayer and some study, I feel like I've made a connection. I told you earlier that the word happy means beautified. And God spoke to me when researching this in a question, what made Job beautiful if he was made to be beautiful what made him beautiful what makes a child of God beautiful what makes them something that others look upon them and they desire to be what they see and the Lord spoke and said the beauty is a result of my favor favor See, Job's end and Job's beauty was the favor of God that shined upon him because he passed the test. So how does that relate to girls being named and not boys? Here's how. In the Old Testament, beautiful daughters were considered as a sign of the favor of God because no man could control what his baby girls looked like. No man had control over the appearance of his daughters. So if they were beautiful, it was viewed of him that God had favor on this man because he had beautiful daughters. And at the end of his trouble, Job's daughters weren't just pretty. They were the fairest in all of the land. God said, to show my favor, I'm going to give you something that everybody is going to desire. I'm going to give you something, Job, that everybody is going to be attracted to. In all the ugliness of the trial, 
in all the struggle of the trouble, you've remained and you've kept your faith. You've been a man of integrity. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you something everyone is going to desire. But that's not where it ended. Because Job said, I'm going to use this favor to testify of your goodness. And Job said, I'm going to name the girls to answer my wife. See, he named the first girl Jemiah. It means comfort in trouble. Second girl was named Kiza. Her name means separated for a purpose. And the last one was named Corinne. Her name means caused to shine. Job was saying, I may have been through the ringer. I may have been to the bottom. I might have had to drink some bitter water. I may have had to endure some trials. But in the end, the favor of God has been my comfort in trouble. It separated me for a purpose, and he has ultimately caused me to shine among the nations. I just came by tonight to tell somebody, hang on just a little while longer. Endure just a little while longer. Continue just a little while longer. Wait and stay under the hand of God, because if you can abide with him, I just feel like telling you tonight, there's some favor that's on its way. There's some blessings. There's some things that God's going to reveal in the midst of all of the chaos and all of the trouble that's going to let some people know, hey, those are the people that have had the hand of God on them. Those are the people that have had the blessings of God. And all the eyes are going to turn off of the chaos and they're going to turn on to the people of God and they're going to turn on to the church of the living God and they're going to begin to flood and they're going to begin to come and we're going to be able to testify of God's glory and God's goodness and God's keeping through all of the trials and through all of the trouble. I don't know about you today but I'm thankful for the favor of God. I haven't understood all I've seen I haven't understood all that we've had to go through. But tonight I stand maybe like Job without the perspective of what God decided and why God chose to do what he's doing in the earth right now. But I stand in the middle like Job. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to serve him though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. I'm going to stand upon his word because I know if I can endure, I'm not going to get to the end of my trouble. But I'm going to get to the end of the purpose of the Lord and it's going to reveal some favor of what the Lord was up to all along. Could you give him praise for that tonight? Come on. Anybody thankful that there's some favor going to come upon the people of God that are able to stand in the midst of our troubles. Amen. Our God is good. So good. So good. So good tonight. I don't know about you, but I want to stay right in his hand. 
I don't know about you, but I want to stay right in his will. Amen. I don't know what they're going to do out there in this crazy world. It's getting crazier by the day. But I'm telling you, I know some favors coming to some people. God's going to be our comfort. And God's going to separate us. And he's going to cause us to shine among the nations. That's what the three daughters of the dilemma produced. Comfort, separation, and shining among the nations. I don't know about you, but I could use some of that today. Amen. I could use some of that today. If God wants to use us as an example, we need to stay true and submit it to his plan. Amen. Praise God. If he'll get ready and come help me, I'm done tonight. Amen. We're going to get out a little bit early tonight. I told you I didn't know if we had enough preach to make it all the way to 8 o'clock. But I feel I feel such a presence. I said it Sunday morning. I feel such a destiny on this church. I believe this has been an ordained month of God for us. I believe God's bringing us together and he's binding us together and he's strengthening us. Amen. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this. God has a plan and God knows and he's going to need his people stronger than they've ever been before. I want to stay under his hand today. I want to see the end of the Lord. I want to get to the end of the story and be able to say, God, I didn't understand it in the middle, but I'm thankful that my why didn't derail me in the midst of the trouble because now I can see that you were sovereign and you were faithful and you were right there with me all of the time. How many of you know he's an on-time God tonight? Amen. Right in the midst of it, right at the nick of time, God's always there to step in. Would you stand with us tonight? Amen. Lord, I love you today. I thank you, Lord, for these that have come. I thank you for the word that you've given in my spirit today. I pray, God, that it's blessed someone in this place. I pray, God, that we can walk out of here tonight, Lord, with a little more faith and a little more assurance that you're up to something. And if we can just humble ourselves under your hand, you're going to exalt us in due time. We're going to see the end, God. We're going to see, we're going to find the answer to maybe all of the questions that seem to be bombarding our mind. We're going to keep our integrity. We're going to keep our faith. We're going to keep trusting you because we know it's through you that we're going to win tonight. Thank you for your presence that's been here tonight in this place that we feel in this house. Thank you for always showing up and being here when we come together. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to let our ushers come tonight. We're going to give as unto the Lord before we dismiss. Please remember this weekend, come be a part of what's going on. Amen. God's doing great things. Pastor's going to be back, be fired up, preaching. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. and uh, We're just going to have a wonderful time in the Lord. Amen. They're ready for us as we're being dismissed. If you want to come and give as unto the Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. Thank, thank you for your support of the house of the Lord. Come and give tonight, and uh, you can be dismissed in the fear of the Lord. Tonight.